Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We'll turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter number 9. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning as we uh, pray this morning. I hope you've been in prayer for Pastor over the last few weeks and uh, pray for him as he and his family return to us this week. Uh, looking forward to getting them back with us and uh, praise the Lord for all that he is, is doing in our church and using us to do for his honor and glory. Uh, it's exciting to be a part of a church that's busy about, number one, getting the gospel to everyone who needs it. Number two, and helping those who are trying to get the gospel to everyone who needs it. And it's good to be a part of a church like that, and I hope that you appreciate what the Lord is allowing us to do and get involved in every area that the Lord will allow you to get involved in that. Amen? And uh, Isaiah chapter number 9 this morning, uh, uh, obviously as Pastor uh, asked me to preach this morning. I began, uh, of course, praying about what the Lord would have us to bring this morning. Uh, as I studied uh, last night, I had four outlines laid on my desk as I was studying and praying about which direction the Lord uh, would have us to go this morning. Uh, around this time of year, it's easy uh, to say, well, I, I've got to preach about Christmas, amen? Uh, and uh, I, I, as I was pastoring, I was always torn, you know, I'm in the month of December, do I need, I need, I need to preach about Christmas? Um, but uh, not, the Lord doesn't always lead us that direction uh, as, we, uh, as we study, uh, but uh, certainly uh, there's much to be said uh, around this time of year about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, I began, uh, as I was praying, uh, several of the, the thoughts uh, were kind of centered around the same thing. And uh, so uh, as I uh, was up this morning early uh, praying still, uh, I have two outlines with me this morning. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not preaching them both this morning, I promise. Uh, but I do have two outlines with me this morning. And I thought when I left the house, I knew exactly what I was going to preach. And then uh, in between Sunday school and church, uh, I took a, a few moments, and the Lord led me in this direction, and so this is what we're going to have this morning. So uh, I pray that the Lord will use it to help us this morning. Uh, both of those outlines, though, that I had stuck into my uh, Bible were both had the central theme of focusing on uh, the name or the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So many times, and I, I've grown up in church, uh, as most of you already know, I, I've, I was a pastor's son, I've been in church all of my life, in a church just like this. I was born and raised around uh, the King James Bible, uh, soul winning, uh, getting the gospel to people, that's how I was raised. And I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for that. Uh, I would choose no other life than the life that God has given me, and I thank the Lord for it. Uh, I will say this, that there are times as a Christian, we become, if we're not careful, calloused to some of the things of God. In other words, we take for granted the things that we've heard our entire life. Uh, I believe that in America today, people take advantage, or take for granted, rather, the fact that they're Americans. It happens. We see it in our country. I think a greater travesty is for us as Christians to take for granted the things of God. Uh, but as we keep from doing that, we must focus on the Word of God. And in studying the Word of God, I made the statement where I have the opportunity this semester to be able to teach through the book of Romans. And I don't know how many times that I've mentioned to the, uh, the men that are taking that class 
that in order to study the Word of God properly, you cannot set aside the character of God. You cannot set aside who God is. You cannot set aside any of the attributes of God if you're going to study the Word of God properly. I believe as we as Christians, if we're going to understand and, uh, and uh, have an appreciation for the things of God and understand really all that Christmas entails, we need to understand who it is that we serve, who it is that we worship, who it is that we're celebrating this morning and this time of year. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter number 9, very probably familiar passage of Scripture to those of us that have been in church any length of time. It is Isaiah's prophecy or part of Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Christ, uh, the, the Lamb of God that would one day be born, that would one day come to take away the sin of the world. The Bible says in verse number 6 of Isaiah chapter number 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In verse number 6, we see some names, yea, characteristics of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, as mentioned here in Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. The Bible says, He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Time would not allow me this morning to preach on those five names or characteristics of God. In fact, as we began looking at the person and the character of God, it is so vast, our human minds cannot fully comprehend even one of His names. Not even one of his names. But this morning, with the help of the Lord, I want to focus on the first one that is mentioned here in this verse of Scripture. And his name shall be called Wonderful. I love singing about and thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the song that says, His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King. The master of everything. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. This morning as we think about this name of Jesus, I want to give us some areas through the birth and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can see plainly from Scripture that His name truly is wonderful. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would bless this morning Your Word. 
Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would keep me from saying anything that you would not want to be said. Help me to say everything that needs to be said this morning to be a help to your people. And Lord, I pray that there's one here this morning that does not know you as their personal Savior. That through the Word of God this morning, they would understand how wonderful you truly are. And that they would come to a saving knowledge of you before it's everlasting too late. Help us as Christians to be drawn closer to you through the Word of God today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, as we think about how wonderful our God is, I want to say, first of all, that our God is wonderful, first of all, in His beginning. In His beginning. Many times, as we think about Christmas and the birth of Christ around this time of year, we mistakenly think that Jesus came into existence that night in Bethlehem as He was born and laid in a manger. However, as you study the Word of God, you find the truth that that was not His beginning. In fact, as we look at the beginning of God, we must turn to the book of Revelation. You say, well, Brother Montgomery, you're backwards. That's the end of the Bible, not the beginning of the Bible. No, but in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible says this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Man, I'm glad this morning that I don't serve a God who just came in to being in my lifetime or in our record of history. But I serve a God this morning whose beginning was in, not, it wasn't in, it was eternity past. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the first. He is the last. Everything starts and begins with him. You cannot get any more wonderful than that. Everything that has happened here on the face of the earth has centered around our God. It is all about him. Uh, so many times we as human beings think that this world revolves around us. And we are the begin all and end all in our own opinion. I hate to break it to you. But it's not all about you and it's not all about me. It's all about him. Because his name is wonderful. He was wonderful in his beginning. In eternity past. He is the eternal God of heaven. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's not just the everlasting father. Though he is the everlasting father. He is the eternal God of heaven. Everlasting, of course, carries with it the, the connotation that there will be no end. But eternal means that there's no beginning and there's no end. And this morning, I'm glad that he was wonderful in his beginning. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter number 1, in verse number 3, in the beginning, or in verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. We go on and we find out in verse number 14 that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Whew. Think about that. John was testifying of the glory that he had seen in the face of the Son of God. 
I can stand here this morning, <laughs> and I have to confess, <clears throat> I've never seen the face of God with my human eyes. I've never seen his physical visage. Oh, but I have seen him. As I open up the word of God, and I begin to look upon the face of the word, who has always been and who always will be. Man, it is encouraging this morning that I don't have to worry that this is going to ever change. Because this is eternal. Before the foundations of the world, it was there. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus is the word. And that word became flesh. That word, the Bible tells us, was in the beginning with God. That word, the Bible tells us, was God. That word, the Bible tells us, was the one who is the creator of this world. When we say God stepped out on, on nothing and spoke the word, the world into existence, what did he use to speak the world into existence? He used the word. If you study the book of Genesis, that first chapter, those first few verses where the Bible tells us, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And we go on. You know what you find there? You find God, the Father, in the beginning. God the Father was in the beginning as this world was created. But also you find God the Son in the beginning. Because over and over again it says, And God said, and it was so. And God said is the word being spoken. And the Bible says the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. You find the triune God at the beginning of creation. And let me just tell you, when you get down to the end and you read the last chapter in the book of Revelation and we're living in eternity future, you'll find God the Father. And you'll find God the Son. And you'll find God the Holy Spirit. Because God does not change. He never will change. He never can change. He's from the beginning. He is to the end. He is everla the everlasting Father. We see God at creation. Well, Jesus was at creation. We see Jesus personified in the Old Testament in the person of Melchizedek. He was without father and without mother. The Bible tells us when he's talking about Melchizedek, I believe that Melchizedek in the Old Testament was an Old Testament appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. We see also Jesus in the Old Testament as he appeared unto Joshua. When he was outside the walls of Jericho after they, they crossed over Jordan. And he was, old uh, Joshua was walking in and praying. And let me just say, if you had a task like Joshua had, you'd be walking in a praying too. Joshua had a great uh, battles to face in front of him. And I believe in his heart he knew what God had for him to do, but he had no clue how he was going to do it. And as he was praying, he came up on an individual. And he said, who are you? Are you for us or against us? He says, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. 
I believe not only was he there for Joshua, we can find Jesus was there several times. I believe uh, he was there when Israel became Israel and he wrestled all night. I believe you find Jesus there. But you know where you also find Jesus? You find him in the book of Daniel. As those three Hebrew men were cast into that fiery furnace. And that old king looked down in that furnace. He said, how many did we cast in there? And they said, three, O king. He said, well, I see four. And the fourth is likened to the Son of God. I'm glad. You just have to bear with me a little bit. But I'm glad that when we're faithful to the Lord and we find ourselves because of faithfulness in the fiery furnace, and let me just say, just because you're faithful doesn't mean you're going to live a life on a bed of roses. But when we find ourselves because of faithfulness in the fiery furnace, there's one who walks there with us. And it's the Son of God. And he'll always be there for the servant of God who will be faithful to him. He has always been and he always will be. His name is wonderful because of his beginning. This Christmas as you sing the Christmas carols so many times, and I'll just be honest with you, we grow up singing them, we hear them all the time. Those Christmas hymns that we sing. Now I'm not talking about jingle bells, that's not a Christmas hymn. I'm talking about the Christmas hymns that we sing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why don't you think about how wonderful He is because of His beginning. But I'm glad He's wonderful because of His beginning. But I see also He's wonderful because of His birth. You say, well, Brother Montgomery, you've already talked about His beginning. Why have we got to talk about His birth now? Well, because that wasn't his beginning, as we've already said. You see, Jesus was wonderful at his birth. We've been talking in Sunday school about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we spoke about the uh, messengers of his birth. In Luke chapter number 2, verses 8 through 14, we read that announcement that those, <coughs> that angel made. And then that heavenly host <coughs> began to proclaim <coughs> with him. He, he came and his birth was announced to some simple shepherds. The great shepherd was announced to the simple shepherds. The king of kings was announced to the kings of the east, as I uh, mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter number 2. But I'm glad this morning that it wasn't just, he, he, his birth was not just wonderful because of the announcement. His birth was wonderful because of the prophecy his birth was wonderful because of the fulfillment of that prophecy. His birth was wonderful because of the miraculous birth that it was. Jesus, listen, I believe that the birth of Isaac was miraculous. It was a miracle that he was born. The birth of Samson was miraculous. The birth of John the Baptist was miraculous. But the birth of Jesus is the greatest miracle of any birth that's ever taken place on this planet. 
because he's the only one that was born without an earthly father. It was the hand of God that allowed Jesus Christ to be placed in the womb of Mary. Those of you ladies who have children, you know the joy that there is in carrying a child. Now that joy in carrying a child is not as great as when that is all over. I understand. Not understand, but it will acknowledge. But could you imagine how elated, how humbled, how honored Mary must have been that the Holy Spirit of God would overshadow her and allow her to carry the very Son of God. What a miracle. That, my friend, is wonderful. That Jesus would be placed into the womb of Mary and allowed to be birthed that night in Bethlehem. But think for a moment. Though that birth in and of itself seems wonderful and miraculous because of the miracles that are obviously had to take place in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled. But when I think about the birth of Christ, I must turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. And my mind is drawn to chapter number 8, verse number 9. The Bible says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Think about that for a moment. As we think about his birth, <coughs> think about how that the God of heaven <coughs> sat aside all the riches to be born in lowly Bethlehem to parents who had not much means but meager means who could not even find another place other than a stable to birth the Christ child. I do not say that to be critical of them. I say that just to point out the fact that Jesus was not born on this earth into riches. He set aside his riches. He became poor. That we, as poor humanity who cannot help ourselves, may through him receive the riches of heaven. That is a wonderful birth. That he would set aside the glory of heaven. But it doesn't stop there. His birth, the wonder of his birth does not stop with just the miracle of his birth in the in the way that it took place according to Scripture. It's not just wonderful because 
that he set aside his riches that we may be rich. But I want to say this. As we think about the birth of Christ, and we think about how wonderful it is, we must remember that he set aside, stay with me, perfection. Now, when Jesus was born, and he came down to earth, he lived a perfect life. Not one time did he sin. He is and was the sinless, perfect Son of God. He was the Lamb without spot and without blemish. He was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. But there came a time in order for Jesus to fulfill his purpose that his perfection was set aside. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 in verse number 21. For he, now speaking of God, for he hath made him Speaking of Jesus. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As a Christian, we should never be able to get over that verse. That he loved us so much. He who knew no sin. Imagine the agony that Jesus went through that day on the cross. Imagine all of the pain that he physically felt. And it would pale in comparison to the weight of sin as he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who knew no righteousness could be made righteous. Thank the Lord that God himself would lower himself to walk among men. His name is wonderful because of his birth and the sacrifice that he made for us in just coming to this world to provide salvation. I say his name is wonderful because of his beginning. His name is wonderful because of his birth. I'll say this, his name was wonderful because of his boyhood. In Luke chapter number 2, the Bible gives us the brief account in Scripture of the young life of the Lord Jesus Christ or his boyhood. Not much is told to us about how he grew up other than the fact that he knew no sin. He was sinless, so he did not have to be corrected. Think about that, parents. Wouldn't that be great to have a child you didn't have to correct? We, uh, we sing songs about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it talks about him crying. I don't know that Jesus ever cried. He may or may not have. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But he was perfect. I know he didn't cry for no reason. Like my kids did. 
like your, like your kids did. And babies cry for no reason other than they won't sneak in attention. But Jesus, in his boyhood, is recorded in verse number 43 down through verse 47. We read the account in Scripture here how that Jesus and his family had gone to the temple. And of course, while they were at the temple, they uh, uh, did all the things that were involved there. They got ready to leave. And the Bible tells us that there was a, a great company that had traveled together. And Mary and Joseph assumed that Jesus was with, in the caravan with some of the other family members. Maybe they assumed that he was with John the Baptist. I don't know. But they assumed that Jesus was with the company. And they traveled away and then realized, we've lost Jesus. Now, in my human mind, I can only imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking. Because they understood that God had entrusted them with his son. Mary and Joseph both knew who it was that they were bringing up. They knew it was the Son of God. And of course, they were a little uh, nervous about that, if you will. Uh, they were, they, so they returned, and the Bible tells us in verse number 43, and when, they, <laughs> and when they had fulfilled the days, <laughs> as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not? I must be about my father's business. We find here as Jesus was at the temple, there's a great truth here in Scripture as Christians, we need to make sure that we don't leave Jesus behind. When we do leave Jesus behind, we need to return to where we last saw him. Because that's where he's going to be. So there's some great truths that we can learn from this account in Scripture. But as we look at this, we see the, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. As as a boy, he sat, the Bible says, that he was asking questions to those leaders, those doctors, those that were gathered there at the temple. I think that's interesting to me. It's amazing if you read through Scripture, many times as people ask Jesus questions, he many times would answer them with a question. I believe that had already started in the life of Jesus here as you read the Scripture. Because the Bible says, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Imagine as Jesus, the Son of God, just a boy, made known to those who were supposed to be teaching the word. He made known to them the word. 
He's the only one that could. Because he was the word. He was wonderful in his boyhood. The Bible tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. In verse number 52. His boyhood was miraculous. There was not one time that Mary or Joseph had to correct him. You said, how do you know that? Because he was God. There was not one time that he had to be disciplined. How do you know that? Because he's God. Because he's perfect. See, if, if Jesus had to be corrected, he would not be God. You only correct somebody if they've done something wrong. Uh, Jesus never one ha- time had to be disciplined. He was God. He was perfect. His boyhood was wonderful. He's the only teenage boy that never got in trouble. The only one. And there never will be another one, fellas. He was wonderful in his boyhood. And lastly, and I'll be done, he was wonderful in his business. Verse number 49. How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? He was not here speaking of Joseph's business. He was speaking of his heavenly father's business. If he was speaking about Joseph's business, he would have been in the carpenter shop. But he was in the temple about his father's business. In John chapter number 9, if we take our Bibles there and look in John chapter 9 and verse number 4, the Bible says this. John chapter number 9 and verse number (coughs) 4 The Bible says, I, Jesus here speaking. In verse number 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus was very clear that he had a job to do. He must be about the works of his fathers. I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus had one purpose. He had one business in mind. As he walked here on this earth, it was not, his business was not to heal the blinded eyes. That was a byproduct of him being about his business. He, his business was not to heal the lame man. That was a byproduct of his business. It was not his business to go around healing the lepers, though he healed the lepers. That was not his business. It was a byproduct of his business. His business was to provide salvation for mankind. That was his sole purpose and goal. That ought to remind us as Christians of this truth. There are those that are around us in this world that are hurting. And there is nothing in this world wrong with helping someone's physical needs. 
But I would like to remind us that each and every one of those healings in Scripture was not just a healing of the physical ailment that that person had. But it was a salvation of their soul as well. Because they would inevitably, as you study Scripture, confess Him as Lord. Showing to us that that miracle was not just a physical healing, but it was a spiritual healing as well. And we need to be reminded as Christians, though it's great to help people physically, it means nothing if we're not able to help them spiritually. I believe we as Christians need to make our business the same business that Jesus had, and that's to get salvation to the world. You know, we have the same business as the Lord Jesus Christ did. Jesus, of course, was the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that provided salvation. His job, though, his purpose, though, in coming was to fulfill uh, 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 the will of God in providing salvation for mankind. Our business is to tell everybody what Jesus did in providing salvation for all of mankind. Jesus was wonderful and is wonderful in his business. I must work the works of him that sent me. I mentioned it in Sunday school. Brother Cruz had mentioned it on Wednesday night. I'll remind us again this morning that God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Those two key words in that verse of Scripture is any and all. Any and all. Do you want to know the will of God? It's that not any would perish, but all would come to repentance. That is the will of God. If we as Christians are going to fulfill the will of God for our lives, we must point those to Him who can provide salvation so that not any will perish, but that all will come to repentance. We can't make them. I can't twist their arm and make them, but I can proclaim to them the way of salvation. Just as Jesus must be about His Father's business, we as God's people should be about our Heavenly Father's business. Making it our purpose in life to get the gospel to the world. Jesus fulfilled His Father's business. Because we find in John chapter 19 and verse number 30, Jesus said, It is finished. He completed the way of salvation. As he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, the payment for the sins of mankind was offered. As he rose again the third day as our great high priest, that payment in heaven was completed as he sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven according to the book of Hebrews. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was wonderful because of his business. 
this morning as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's thank Him for how wonderful His name is. How wonderful He is. I think my wife thinks I'm a pretty wonderful person. What makes a person think someone else is wonderful? The things that they do. The person that they are. You know what you would appreciate your family members more if you had stopped looking at their shortcomings and look at who they are? A lot of times, I'll finish with this. A lot of times, husbands and wives become irritated with one another because of things that they do in a moment instead of focusing on who they truly are in their everyday life. Many times we as Christians, we don't give God the praise that He deserves because we don't think a circumstance happened the way we thought it should. If I was God, I wouldn't have done that. How many times have we said that? Maybe not verbally, but we've thought it. If I was God, I wouldn't have let this happen in my life. If I, thank God I'm not God. Because I'd have messed things up a long time ago. But we as Christians would have a better appreciation, a greater love for our God. And let me just say, we'd have a lot more Merry Christmas if we'd focus on who God is. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless this morning your word.